Hello. We've the final study in our present 12-week series here on Search for Truth. Search for Truth is your 15-minute program of hymns and Bible study with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. During this series of programs and studies, Brian's been looking into the Bible to see how we might get to know God better and deepen our relationship with him. Now, today's study is called Responding to Revelation. And Brian brings us today to the point of putting into practice the things we've learned from our Bibles. That is, to seek to experience a closer fellowship with God, our Maker. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. We're surrounded today with a celebrity culture. There are style icons, media presenters, film stars and rock legends as they're called, and their names become household names around the world. To be known by billions around the globe is the dream that some aspire to. But it all pales into hopeless insignificance compared with one thing. And that one thing is being known by God. The Apostle Paul said, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. 1 Corinthians 8 and 3. A little later, in that same letter to the Corinthians, Paul added, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. As predicted by the Bible prophet Daniel, knowledge has increased, and the rate of accumulating knowledge is accelerating, greatly assisted by global communication in what many would recognise as the end time. Human understanding and achievements are impressive, but we may have all knowledge and still it is nothing if we are not known by God, so that in turn we may know him. Let's hear more along these lines, coming from the famous hymn of love, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. If I know all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I am nothing. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. That's 1 Corinthians 13, as we say. These verses have been quite controversial among Christians. Paul clearly says prophecies and speaking in tongues and partial knowledge were going to pass away. The hotly debated topic concerns the timing as to when these things would cease. It certainly is capable of being understood as meaning that, first of all, additional prophetic utterances that added to Scripture stopped once the whole canon of Scripture was completed. They were no longer needed or even legitimate once we had the all-sufficient word, as in the Reformer's cry of sola scriptura. Further, it's also possible to see that the need for speaking in tongues to initially confirm the witness of the first generation to hear the Lord, was outgrown when, as in Paul's imagery of a child's development, 
the entire movement of the Holy Spirit came to a level of maturity in God's purposes. And lastly, our knowledge of God's things, which even now is partial, will only become full when our Lord returns and we shall see him and be like him. Then we will know fully, even as we have been fully known. We've seen that we were known by God from long before the creation of the universe, when he chose us in Christ. And we've also concluded that in this present opportunity that we have for serving the Lord, those who do so faithfully and well are distinguished above and beyond that by God's knowing approval. But it's in the future when those who've already been gifted with eternal life come to understand more of what it is to be fully known by God. Well, it's time to review where our studies have led us. We've mainly thought about knowing God before stressing the point, as Paul did to the Galatians, that such knowledge is only possible if we have been known by God. When we first began to think about knowing God, we endorsed Packer's point that knowing God is very different from knowing about God. This is about having first-hand experience of God. Oxford theologian McGrath admits that his own early attempts to know Christ were marked by rational investigations of Jesus' life and times, as well as intellectual struggles with church doctrine. He had been an aggressive atheist, utterly convinced of the godless worldview. Yet in his first term at Oxford University, he came to realise that Christianity was intellectually superior to his earlier atheism. Christianity simply made sense of life in a way that atheism did not. Yet a year or so into his Christian life, all was not well. He says that he tended to think of faith as a set of ideas only. He loved God with all his mind. But what about his heart and his imagination? McGrath's turning point came about a year and a half after he became a Christian. It was when he read Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, which says, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. We've seen how the Bible book of Ezekiel hammers home the importance of knowing God. God's dealings with Israel, some of them very painful, were to the end that they and others should know the Lord. And as we've reminded ourselves, this is what Paul came to prize more than anything. For him, Christianity was about the vivid experience of knowing the Lord. It had been no different with Moses in the Old Testament. In chapter 34 of Exodus, we remember Moses meeting with God on a personal level. In closing our series of studies on the theme of knowing God, it may well be worth revisiting that encounter that Moses had with God on Mount Sinai. The first thing that happens after Moses climbs the mountain to be alone with God is that he receives a revelation from God. The text in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 7, tells us that God came down and proclaimed his name to Moses. God revealed himself by announcing his name in terms of listing his qualities. We get to know God's character through an appreciation of what his attributes are. And then we get to understand his attributes better when seen through the lens of his dealings with the human race, as documented throughout Bible history. As we attempt to draw a principle from this, surely it's this. 
that in the practice of knowing God intimately, the first step is to receive God's revelation. We know God by receiving his revelation. And that's of first importance in experiencing the practice of his presence in our lives. Of course, receiving God's revelation today is different from the way Moses received it. We no longer need to wait for an audible voice or any manifest form because God has given us access to his voice in the Bible, which we call his word. We not only know God through his actions and attributes, but we come to know him as we understand more about his will for our lives. The next thing that happens in this encounter that Moses had with God is that Moses worships God as a response to God's revelation to him. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Whenever we interpret the meaning of God's revelation in a Bible text that we happen to be studying, that meaning, once understood, always calls for our response in worship, as well as in ongoing application in our lives. In knowing God in practical experience, the dynamic must be our responding to his revelation, certainly if there's to be any intimacy. It's good when that response brings about revival. In prayer, we direct our human spirit to the Spirit of God and prepare to receive God's revelation. That's his communication to us through his word. This means we're reading our Bible with our mind engaged, with our mind set on the ultimate truth that's before it, grasping its significance. And thinking it over, we allow its truth to penetrate down into our heart and so to shape our will. This results in us living out the truth with our whole being or soul, and so our behaviour is transformed. Intimacy with God isn't real unless it's life-changing. It was for the men of faith catalogued in Hebrews chapter 11, and for one of them in particular. Abel built an altar, Noah built an ark, and so on, but Enoch built a relationship with God. That's not to say that others didn't have this too, of course, but it's the standout thing in Enoch's life. Enoch pleased God because of faith that led him to desire to live in a godly way when others weren't. His focus was on pursuing the rewarding presence of God. It seems a revelation God gave him when his son was born triggered an exceptional response on Enoch's part, leading to a life of intimacy with God ever after. The few biographical details of Enoch's life found in Genesis chapter 5 are quite exceptional. First, the frequently repeated words, and he died, don't apply to him, but they do to everyone else. Second, the words that do apply to Enoch are, he walked with God. This is so amazing that it's repeated twice. Enoch's life overlapped substantially with that of the first man, Adam. And God removed him from this scene at a time of cultural perversity. Just compare what was happening at the same time in the line of Cain. After three centuries of godly communion, Enoch seemingly simply walked one day with God into heaven. His experience of knowing the intimate presence of God in his lifetime here was carried out alongside normal domestic life, during which time he bore sons and daughters and also shared with others his insight into God's future judgment on this world. Knowing God is so much more than knowing about God. It's the practice of the fellowship with God that we were created for.
It is glory just to walk with him whose blood has ransomed me. It is rapture for my soul each day. It is joy divine to feel him near wherever path may be. Bless the Lord, his glory all the way. It is glory just to walk with him. It is glory just to walk with him. He will guide my steps aright through the veil and all the heights. It is glory just to walk with Brian said that knowing God is to practice the fellowship with God that we were created for. And to quote the hymn we've just enjoyed, it is glory just to walk with him. That's the fellowship we enjoy with God. It is glory just to walk with him. He will guide my steps aright through the veil and o'er the height. It is glory just to walk with him. It is glory when the shadows fall to know that he is near. Oh, what joy to simply trust and pray. It is glory to abide in him when skies above are clear. Yes, with him it's glory all the way. So I hope you enjoyed today's talk and the hymn, and I hope that the words I've just quoted will be your experience too. And may I remind you that there's a vital transcript book available of all 12 study talks in this series. If you have it, then you'll be able to pursue further personal study and get more out of these radio talks by asking for the title, A Greater Sense of God. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, I've been delighted to enjoy your company again today. Do join us again next week for the start of a brand new series, which I'll tell you about next time. But until then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. It is glory when the shadows fall to know that he is near. Oh, what joy to simply trust and pray. It is glory to abide in him when skies above are clear. Yet with him it's glory all the way. It is glory just to walk with him. It is glory just to walk with him. He will guide my steps aright through the veil and all the heights. It is glory just to walk with him.